there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Hi, welcome to the Live Healthy Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, your host and editorial director of Live Healthy. And I'm here with Kate Sheridan, all the way from the Maldives. Kate is a marine biologist at the Sheridan Maldives Full Moon Resort and Spa. And we're talking today because I just thought it would be interesting. So many people from this region go to the Maldives. It's absolutely so beautiful. And I thought we could just sort of learn a little bit more about becoming better stewards when we're on vacation and just find out a little bit more about what you do. So welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Amari, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So first of all, what is a marine biologist at a resort in the Maldives? What's your main, what what, what were you brought there for? What's your job? For those of us who don't <laughs> understand what it would be. That's a great question. Um, personally, my main, our kind of main mandate here within the resort is coral restoration. So we are running an active coral restoration project on the island. So the whole island is is the resort, it's the Sheraton. And we are trying to increase the coral cover around the island through restoration. Uh, the method that we use is propagation. So we um, we basically duplicate coral, much like we, you would propagate a plant. I'm sure lots of your listeners do this in their, in their houses and their flats, um, where you take a small piece and you put it in water and it, it will grow into a new plant. You can do very much the same thing with corals. So we can take small pieces of coral and what we do is we attach them onto metal structures. And these are, um, we call them our coral frames. They're coated with sand and resin as well. So they kind of feel more like a sandy rock. We attach the coral onto there and the coral will then grow on the frame. And then we will build multiple frames, put them in the water, and this will create a artificial an artificial reef. Um, which will operate in terms of an ecosystem exactly the same as a natural reef. So the idea behind it is to increase the amount of coral itself, which would then increase habitat for other marine life. So it will bring more marine life to the island. It creates snorkeling for the guests who are in the resort so they can go out and see it and see all the marine life that the coral brings in. But it also is aiding the ecosystem and the recovery of the ecosystem in a kind of wider context. That's the main thing that we do. Um, how effective Sorry, is it? Said, uh, coral reefs in the Maldives. How how effective uh, is it? What you're doing, like how how oh, can you can you sort of quantify it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so we our project here has actually been extremely successful. So we have um, quite a you know a large area, maybe seventy five uh, meters squared of restored sites. We have we have multiple sites, um, and obviously that's kind of if you were measuring on, on the base, obviously the ecosystem will, will operate from the seafloor up to the surface um, in terms of area. So we have nearly 500 coral frames. So if you imagine each coral frame is maybe um, le- just under a meter wide. Um, and so if you imagine 500 of them together, it's, it's quite significant. Um, we have also recently done a an assessment of our site and compared them to the natural reef in terms of biodiversity. 
And we did find that the restored sites have a much higher biodiversity of key species compared to the, the natural reef. So we are seeing that restoration is increasing the biodiversity around the island, but it's also retaining all like critical ecosystem function that you would find on a natural reef as well. So that was really positive. It has been it has been really successful. You can see the difference as well um, if you go snorkeling here. If you snorkel in an area without restoration, there's very little to see. But if you go to our restoration site, it's full of life. Are most of the resorts there in the Maldives doing similar work or are you how how does that work? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. A lot of resorts have some form of coral restoration, um, but not on the scale that we have here. Um, we also, a lot of resorts will also have a, a marine biologist. We have a small team here, so we have obviously achieved a bit more because there's a few more of us. Um, it's quite common as well for a lot of marine biologists to do a lot of educational activities for guests, which we do as well. Um, but not all of them will have a kind of active conservation and research program alongside that. Um, so it varies from place to place, not to say that other resorts don't do it, um, because several of them do, but ours is, I would say, one of the most, uh, it's probably one of the biggest. Um, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know exact stats to claim that fact, but I would say it's probably one of the most established and successful. What can guests who are coming to the Maldives do to be better stewards of the planet and the environment? Because I don't know, traveling, traveling is kind of fraught these days, you know, uh, when we're talking about being responsible for, for responsible stewards, what's your sort of, what can people do to be better at it when they travel? Well, there's actually so many things people can do, particularly uh, in a Maldivian, in the Maldives. Um, There's, it's kind of everything from the way that you travel and then what you do when you're actually here and, and what you do after. Um, things that you can do when you're here to be um, that would be beneficial for particularly the coral would be to kind of practice reef safe snorkeling. Um, so that might that can be a wide range of different things. So, for example, not standing on any coral, making sure that you're not touching any marine life, not touching any coral when you're in the water. Our like just our physical touch can be incredibly stressful for large animals, but it can also be harmful. Um, and then for corals, they're very fragile. So if you touch them, they can very easily break. And if they break, they might not necessarily survive. It can also be dangerous for us. Um, I've cut myself on coral before. It's not a nice experience. It does really hurt. Um, so it's obviously always sensible for your own safety to never touch anything in the ocean, but also for the, the safety of the ecosystems. Um, things like with your larger marine life, like uh, manta rays or whale sharks, you want to make sure you're always keeping a safe distance from them. So three to four plus meters back and you're viewing them from a safe distance. You never want to crowd any form of wildlife. Um, again, it can cause problems for you, but generally it, it's just stressful for them. So you want, you want to avoid that. Um, there are other things like smaller things you can do as well before you even get here. So certain uh, products, particularly sun creams or even hair products, can be harmful for the oceans. Um, generally, in sun creams, if they have nano ingredients, so very ingredients that are like very, very small, um, I don't know all the names, it's all kind of a long list of chemical names, but generally, if you see the word nano within the ingredients list, then that would not be a coral safe uh, sun cream um, because when it comes off your skin into the water, sometimes the corals will ingest it and it can be harmful for them. 
So there are brands of sun creams or other toiletries that are designed to be coral safe. Um, some that are also accidentally coral safe, um, including some of the some mainstream brands. So these are just things to look out for when you're prepping for your holiday to make sure you're buying reef safe things. Um, the same for any kind of excursion. Obviously, if you're on a boat, you want to make sure that if you're watching dolphins, for example, that the boat is keeping a safe distance and having tourists that are aware of these issues and kind of at the forefront of this really makes a big difference. Um, when you've got guests who are really passionate about this and really interested, then that's obviously going to influence uh, the industry as a whole. Um, it's obviously, you know, unavoidable to fly really into the Maldives. So um, there's not really a kind of less sustain, uh, more sustainable way to get here than taking a flight. But within the Maldives traveling, there's a lot of internal flights. Um, the Sheraton, though, is one of the resorts that you don't have to take an internal flight to. So there are resorts that you can just take a boat once you come into the international airport. And that's obviously going to reduce your your carbon footprint of your trip um, compared to taking an, an additional plane once you're you're in the island. Um, so there's lots of things. There's probably so many more. <laughs> um, a big one at the Sheraton and at some other resorts as well would be participating in coral restoration. So we don't just do all of this ourselves. We do offer activities for the guests to build their own coral frames. So they'll be propagating the coral themselves. Um, so then they can actually take part and adopt a little bit of the reef. So they would own that frame. Uh, and every six months, we would also send them photos so they can see how it grows over time. And of course, they're always welcome to come back and go see it themselves. <laughs> Um, and then there are other kind of activities people can do uh, once you're in the Maldives to support these sorts of initiatives. Are people interested in doing these kinds of things, rebuilding the reefs? Like, are you getting a lot of interest? Yeah, we do. It's been this has been one of our biggest successes, really, for the project because um, we've been operating at the Sheraton for uh, well about three years. Uh, we started in February 2020. Um, and we all remember what happened in March 2020 was <laughs> been a nationwide lockdown across the Maldives. So um, we really started properly from October time. Um, and we've built nearly 500 frames in that time frame. So majority of those have been sponsored by hotel guests. So it has been it has been popular. Um, there's always more we can do to increase engagement, increase awareness, but it has been something that's been um, very popular and we've always had really positive feedback from those guests. What's your ultimate goal for that coral reef restoration project? Oh wow I mean for a long time 500 was the goal and we're probably going to reach that in the next two or three weeks um, but then I guess I mean in terms of frames it can kind of go on exponentially um, the only limiting factor would be we would just need a few more people to keep the maintenance um, up kept but um, a big goal for us is our research goals. So I actually work for a company called Reefscapers, who is a, a partner of the Sheraton. So Reefscapers is brought in, mandated to do this restoration. And we are doing a lot of research on coral uh, reproduction as well as our assessment of the health of the reefs. So one of the big goals was, was to assess our reefs compared to the natural reef. And so we want to keep that momentum going, having seen that our reefs were more biodiverse so I would quite be interested to assess different metrics other than just biodiversity and continue to assess our sites as they grow as we add more and more frames compared to the natural reef whilst also monitoring the natural recovery of the reef and then the reproduction side corals can um, reproduce themselves so what we do with propagation is a sort of asexual form of reproduction 
but corals can reproduce sexually where they will, uh, they, they're called broadcast spawners. So essentially they will release um, egg and sperm into the water, which will fertilize and form new corals. Um, and this is a, a amazing phenomenon to witness, but very rarely witnessed or recorded. Um, because it happens quite rarely, the corals take their cues from the environment, but they typically only spawn once or twice a year. So it's it's quite slow recovery for them naturally. And something really important for us with the restoration is to make sure that our restored sites are reproducing so that they can help repopulate the natural reef. Um, so it's to continue monitoring with that and to make sure that our sites are helping with the natural recovery as much as mimicking a natural reef themselves. And can you talk about biodiversity? Because this is a word that gets tossed around a lot. And I don't, I don't really know that a lot of people stop and think about what it means. So can you sort of talk about what it means and why it's important? Yeah, so biodiversity essentially refers to how many species are within an ecosystem, and then how many individuals of those species you have within an ecosystem. So when I'm talking about checking the biodiversity of our restoration sites we are essentially counting fish um, but it can be not just fish it'll be also um, crustaceans so crabs uh, shrimp um, and then your larger things like turtles rays uh, sharks um, specifically for our assessment we wouldn't be possible to count every single species so we chose key uh, what we call bio indicator species which are species that are particularly indicative of a healthy reef ecosystem. So certain fish have certain behaviors that promote the health of the reef. Um, and so we were counting those. So it was an assessment that took into account firstly species richness. So how many unique species do you have in the ecosystem? And then abundance. So how many, literally how many are there? Um, and that together will give you a, a metric of biodiversity. Um, it's um, it's kind of it's hard to put into words quite how important biodiversity is. Um, biodiversity in the oceans is what makes the oceans alive, um, without which the, an unhealthy ocean would lead to an unhealthy planet. Um, we're so dependent on the oceans for all kind of world resources, um, but particularly on a kind of obvious scale of things like fish. Millions of people worldwide are directly dependent on fish for their primary source of food or their primary source of protein. And if we didn't have biodiverse oceans, we wouldn't have that fish in order to, to feed ourselves. Um, on land as well, biodiversity is completely vital. Um, and us as human beings, we wouldn't be able to sustain our population without sort of present levels of biodiversity. And that's why the current biodiversity crisis we're facing you know, extinctions in a large number of species is extremely alarming um, and a, a really big problem and could become a huge problem for our own species survival because we are so dependent on having high levels of biodiversity. So a high number of species and a high abundance of those species. How do you stay hopeful when you're facing, you know, when you work in a field that's so close to this, uh, the rest of us have to think about it less, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is a really good question. Um, and it's something that I really grapple with a lot um, because it can be extremely depressing um, to really think about uh, the climate crisis and, and the biodiversity crisis in detail. Um, and I think that it's not necessarily reported in um, the, the detail that it, it should be. So sometimes when I speak to people about it, people think I'm being extremely um, exaggerated and 
that can also be quite depressing. Um, but for me, I, I love wildlife. Um, I love being in nature. Um, so I get a real enjoyment out of my job. I love being in the water. I love being just outside around, around nature. So, um, as much as, you know, it's a great job and you can kind of, people will always say, oh, you're doing such a great thing. Um, I do also do it because I love it. Um, I'm not kind of going to sit here and say that I'm just selflessly restoring coral reefs. No, I get a huge enjoyment out of it. Um, but it, it, there's ups and downs for sure. I think sometimes you do have days where you just think we can't, we can't win. And what's hard is that individuals, you know, we're not responsible for these crises and we're not the answer either. The real changes have to come from international governments and from the largest you know, the most powerful people, the richest companies and the richest conglomerates. And so sometimes it can be quite frustrating. Um, but I think this this magazine, this podcast is great because I love that you highlight the the small things that people can do to make a difference. And the power of collective action is huge. Um, with lots and lots of people make the same small changes, then obviously it's going to have a big impact. We just have to do that whilst also pressuring <laughs> the big guys to also make the necessary changes. Um, but for me, I guess I stay positive if I feel myself getting really overwhelmed. I just go back into nature and remember why I'm doing this and, and why I love it. Oh, what's your favorite sea creature and why? Oh, that's such a good question. I think my favorite sea creature is the orca or the killer whale, um, which seems like a blasphemous choice because I've never actually seen one. <laughs> but I just... I'm so impressed by them. Um, they're so intelligent and they're so social. Um, obviously they have, you know, a dark side too. They're an apex predator and they've, they've been, they're probably one of the most successful predators on the planet, if not the most successful, possibly only second to us. Um, but they're so impressive to me. The hunting strategies that they utilize, the, the way they teach their young. Um, there are just intelligence, the fact that they can judge situations and make such, um, you know, they can weigh pros and cons and decide what is the right thing to do in, in a situation. And they can also feel emotions to a level that, that we can't even feel. They have much bigger brains than us and they have much greater kind of social and emotional capacity to us. Um, so the love and the social bonds that they have for each other can even be stronger than the ones we have for each other. Um, and I just think that that's fascinating um but i do i love coral i really love coral and the more i've worked with coral the more impressed i am by it every day uh the resilience the colors the way it grows everything the way they reproduce is is amazing so i would say the two orca i just i'm fascinated by but coral is my my first love when it comes to the ocean oh that's amazing <laughs> what's uh what's it been like working in the maldives Oh, wow. Working in the Maldives as a marine biologist is amazing. Um, it's a sort of dream location. I can't believe I'm here <laughs> half the time. Um, you get to see, you know, things that were on my bucket list, wildlife that was on my bucket list every day. Um, and that's, that's incredible. Um, there are, I mean, the Maldives is a work environment. It's quite a unique work environment. It's unlike somewhere I've been before in the sense that the islands are, the islands are quite small. Um, so you are in a kind of small community. Um, and it's slightly remote. I mean, our specifically our island isn't as remote um, in terms of we're closer to the airport, as I mentioned. Um, so closer to sort of an area where there are shops, restaurants, etc. But um, 
the you are kind of on the island with a small group of people but I personally quite like that and one great thing about it is it attracts people from all over the world and so the community is really international really multicultural which is I think always a great thing to strive for in a work environment um and it's beautiful I mean the the water the the islands the sand everything so you walk outside and just think this is this is incredible um and my job specifically because we get to go in the water every day and we get to um work with the wildlife here it's you know we're doing things that I never thought I would get to do um as a kid and seeing things that people travel thousands of miles to see and we just get to do this every day as, as our job so I'm very grateful for the experience and I I'm a big fan of the Maltese. Oh, that's amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for telling us about this. And that backdrop is enough to make me want to go there right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we thought we'd, we'd pick a good backdrop. It's a shame the, the sun's not out today. But um, yeah, you still, even when there's a cloudy day, you get the beautiful colors of, of the water. Um, no, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about this stuff. Okay, can I ask you a question for... I have two podcasts. I have a podcast about menopause and midlife. And I just thought when you were talking, I'm so curious because they always say uh, only whales and, and, and humans go through menopause. And I just wondered if you had any info about turtles or any, or it, like if you knew like, well, like their reproductive life ends and they li live on. If you knew oh, anything about um, that. Yeah, I actually don't know about that. That's a great question. I It doesn't surprise me that whales go through the menopause um, and like live on because they have, well, they're quite similar to us, they're both mammals, et cetera. But they also, because they're so social, they use like cooperative parenting, which we yeah. also do. So you still have like, you know, not to, to put it in a kind of evolutionary way, um, you have a purpose still after. I mean, yeah, obviously in terms of evolution, you're kind yeah. of... The grandmother you had hypothesis, like they say, yeah. The yeah. Yeah. So like in terms of evolution, the whole purpose of existence is to like okay. eat, reproduce and then to die. And um, that's it. Um, so in most species, once you've reproduced enough times, then you kind of don't really serve a purpose. But yeah. if you're still helping to raise the young, then you obviously still serve a purpose in terms of increasing the population of the species, um, aiding its evolution. So that makes sense that whales would also have that. Um, I don't know about any other species. So this is a really good question. I'm going to look this up now. Well, um, I, I've just become obsessed with it because, you know, like media, I'm, I'm, I call myself a, re a recovering journalist because media narratives, they just get repeated over and over and then they're not necessarily true. Right. So, you know, some journalists will write an article about menopause. They'll say only humans and whales go through menopause. And I found, no, there's re there's studies that elephants do, um, giraffes do I, I found a study yeah. about camels where they just mentioned when camels go through menopause like I can't find any other information and so I've become yeah. obsessed with this idea that probably quite a few do but they just haven't been studied because yeah. even the study about well, elephants they the researchers actually seemed sh like they didn't believe it <laughs> like when they were writing the research study they just seemed like the whole language of it is like uh we can't believe what we're seeing but we saw it you know well, that all of those species kind of support my theory that if they have cooperative parenting, then yeah. they would go through the menopause because elephants live in large familial groups. Yeah. So they support each other. Giraffes also live 
in herds, so they all, they all live together. Yeah, okay. Um, but so I imagine it's more common. I mean, obviously in mammals that would make sense. Um, and then so I doubt something like a turtle, which is a reptile, because turtles don't really care for their young. Their young are very much like left to ah, okay. fend for themselves. Um, but I'm sure there are other mammals. I'm sure. I mean, the primates. I imagine. Yeah, that's uh, what I gorillas. thought. Like, I, I gotta look. I gotta look up gorillas and next. But yeah, I'm like I would one person. Chimpanzees. Yeah, I'm just sitting here going, no, I know it's more, but I just can't prove it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's so we'll interesting. It's so funny that the researchers were shocked. <laughs> yeah, like I've never read a clinical study like that where they just kept writing it that way. Like I think they were just. Well, it just goes to show that when you believe things are one way, it takes a lot to change people's minds. And so it, it, I, I wasn't surprised, but I've just never read a clinical study where the people seem so shocked by their findings. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the beauty of science is that we're yeah. constantly disproving things that we thought were true. Um, it's kind of the whole point. And so <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Like what a cool uh, job in life you set up for yourself there. It's like, oh, thank pretty, you very much. Pretty cool. Thanks a lot for <laughs> talking to us. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.